It's so hot now in the summer here in the Inland Empire, California, Southern California. <clears throat> it's like winter in the middle of the day. is hideout time. And the evening is when one can get work done. <clears throat> so I'm picking up horse poop, one of my favorite things to do. And I was thinking about this whole idea of healing as a lifestyle. And it also relates, in my mind, to hero worship. <clears throat> Some people get invested in healing as their hobby and their focus and um, kind of like their, their goal in life. So that says to me that people think that there is a goal and that once you are, quote, healed, your real life can begin. It's almost like as abstract as thinking, well, once I eat a good meal, I'll be happy. And you could say, Yes, for a while you will be, and then traffic will get to you, and an argument with someone will get to you, etc. So then you focus on the next meal. I eat this meal, this great meal, and I learn how to cook this meal, or I learn where I can get this meal, and eating this meal makes me feel amazing. I'm going to be good, and you will be for a while, and then of course it's going to wear off. People who are chasing healing, I wonder if that isn't what's happening in their mind, maybe not consciously, but sort of unconsciously. This idea that there's something wrong with you and once it's fixed, your life will be better. Maybe even your life will begin. And it's just so interesting um, because we don't do this with, say, our dentist of, you know, once I get this cavity fixed or once my teeth are whitened, life will be amazing. We're just like, no, that'll be another drop in the bucket of things I like, things that add value or fun or quality to my life. But white teeth or losing 20 pounds isn't going to solve your life problems and isn't going to keep you entertained and content and joyful for years and years. And this goes along with the idea of <clears throat> I don't see people trying to emulate their dentist or their car mechanic or even a fireman who comes to rescue them. They're just so appreciative of what they get from various people that help them and because your dentist solves your abscess problem or your overbite problem, you don't now want to become a dentist and help everybody else by being a dentist. Typically, that's not what happens. You just are very grateful and you refer people to the dentist and you love the skill of the dentist. And after your crisis with your teeth, you go back to your life. But with healing, it's a whole other scenario. Like, I want to do what that person does. I want to help other people. I would say 80 to 90% of people 
that were addicts, for example, or alcoholics, once they get sober, go into the field of psychology because they want to repeat the experience they had by helping to create it for other people. But again, we don't do that if you've had an appendectomy or a tubal pregnancy or your doctor has finally diagnosed what's wrong with you and put you on medication and, and now you can get on with your life even with your condition, rheumatoid arthritis or diabetes or something like that. And you don't try to take over your doctor's practice and you don't try to become special like your doctor. And yet we see all of this in the New Age movement. And we also see it, I think, in churches uh, that have a cult-like uh, culture to them. Uh, I want to be the best Christian. I want to be the best Jew. I want to be the best Mooney. <laughs> We're getting into some of the outliers. So what is it that makes people think like this and long like this? that if they were seeing their dentist instead of a healer, they would keep their boundaries, they would keep their sense of self, they would not turn their dentist into a cult figure, they would not try to be like their dentist, they would not try to hang out with the dentist so that the dentist's good energy could rub off on them. It says to me that when we find ourselves doing that with someone, giving our power to someone rather than to something, giving our power to a person instead of a practice. And even with a practice, instead of becoming rigid about it, that we use it the way it is now and maybe we're gonna tweak it in the future, maybe we'll find another practice in the future, that we add on or maybe we replace the original practice with that people instead get fixated on wanting to succeed in the eyes of the person teaching you a practice instead of fixating on the practice itself as helpful same thing with a sports coach. The sports coach can really, you know, improve your performance and boost your psyche. And we don't hear much about people wanting to be like their coach or wanting to hang out with their coach all the time so it rubs off on them. Okay, I'm jumping poop. one of many since I skipped a day but when we're with a healer or a religious person self-proclaimed or one that you have decided is you know amazing instead of using the practice for what it is a tool that may or may not help you for a while but it helps you with your life not meant to help you become a superstar in someone else's life. 
Now, I encourage people to really examine this when you have found yourself wanting to be like someone else or wanting to do the work that they do. And yet, prior to meeting the person, you never wanted to do that work. People I know that are healers or teachers are kind of were doing it from a young age. Just like people who are musicians, it's my cart I'm dragging here. People who are musicians and artists, they're playing music from a young age. Of course, with exceptions, Michael Jackson's dad or Tiger Woods' dad who you know, force kids to get obsessively, perfectionistically good at something at a very young age and drove them. That's a different thing. But if we look back into our childhood, what was it that you were doing originally in your free time? What did you do? Did you try to get more friends? Did you try to get more toys? Did you try to hide in the bushes and and go retreat into fantasy land. And of course, if you have an abusive childhood, emotionally or physically or sexually, this gets a little more complicated because your natural behaviors then might not be available to you because you never had natural behaviors, you had self-protective behaviors. Looking for a savior is something I would say you need to find out if you're doing that. What are the benefits of having a savior? Well, you don't have to think about what's the right answer or what to do. You just follow orders. Another great thing is you don't have to be responsible or accountable. You do what you're told. If it fails, it's the teacher or the healer's fault because they told you to do it. Unless you're in a cult where then the teacher will tell you, you failed because you did it wrong. And if you do something right, you can't really take full credit for it because again, you're doing what your teacher told you to do. So any sense of building self-esteem and having experiences of accountability and responsibility or learning any skills about uh, progression, building on small successes, is a lost skill for you. Hero worshiping someone, doing what you're told to do. It also, helps you to negate any emotional reactions or many emotional reactions because everything is now geared towards did I follow what the teacher told me to do not was I afraid was I anxious did this make me upset was this too hard did this bring up memories nope it's just all about did I do what I was told to do and am I going to get validation for that It is a form of emotional addiction. And I've always held that addiction, one of the reasons, maybe one of the main reasons that we get addicted is that instead of having to deal with the real pain that's underneath 
I get to deal with the surface pain of addiction that I can at least control because I can score, I can clean up and get sober for a day or an hour, and then I score again, and then I clean up again, and in between all of that, I'm recovering or getting sick or dealing with all the body issues that come with addiction. So now I don't have to have any of those creepy things come in like my childhood or <clears throat> my feeling ugly or my having no idea what I want to do with my life. It is a time filler and it is a thought-stopping practice addiction. And one of the problems of sobering up or even stopping an addiction like sugar, caffeine, cigarettes, etc., is that your thoughts start to come in. So following a person as if they have answers for you can be another thought-stopping medication for yourself. So what does it look like to have healing being part of your lifestyle, not your lifestyle, and working with healers? And there are, you know, fabulous people out there. The experiences I've had with energy work and body work and readings is just mind-blowing, you know, absolutely mind-blowing. For some reason, it never put me in that place of, I want to be that person. I want to be able to do that. Just like when my doctor helps me with something or a massage therapist or a chiropractor and osteopath sets my body right, I don't set out on a lifestyle to be that or be that person. Sometimes the healers I've worked with, I have zero in common with them. I don't even maybe like them on a personal level. I have nothing to say. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't like their priorities, etc. So if you find yourself in hero worship or you find yourself acting in, let's say, a kind of obsessive or addictive fashion towards a practice, like I've got to do it right, I've got to do it exactly right, I have to do it on the right day, I have to do exactly hold the hands on way, etc. Instead of doing a practice and asking yourself, how does this feel right now? Is this working? Do I, you know, it's uncomfortable, but is it a good uncomfortable? Is it bringing stuff up? Do I want to move away from this? Do I want to move into it? Do I want to talk to somebody about it, etc.? But if you find yourself obsessing about a person or a practice, I would strongly suggest that whoever you're working with, that you bring this up. And it's dangerous because if you're around somebody who is a little bit culty, and some of the red flags are my way is probably the best way or only way on the planet, red flag. I am amazing. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> now that's different than saying an Olympic athlete who says, I can you know, run the mile in under four minutes. They can. That's different than saying, I have the power to change your life. I have the power of a God. Run in the other direction. 
Well, when you're working with someone who has something amazing to offer you, can you check yourself and or be working with someone who will help to check you that you see what you're learning from the practice, not what you're getting from the person who's teaching you the practice. And learning is different than feeling good, because sometimes when we learn stuff, it doesn't feel good. So that's why I'm saying, look at what you're learning from a practice rather than how amazing it felt. It's pretty easy to make people feel amazing. I would say, one of the ways we know that for sure is look at the sex industry. That people are satisfied by some exotic experience with a human they have no real contact with. Shows us how easy it is for us humans to be easily entertained. But for some reason in the areas of spirituality or maybe religion as well, which comes under spirituality, but slightly different than New Age, <clears throat> at least for now. We assign much more meaning. We don't get together with a male escort or a female escort or call girl and start worshiping them, unless you're a sex addict, of course. Then, yeah, you will. So noticing how you're approaching a practice, how you're approaching even reading. Are you reading the Bible so you can do it right and fit in with your church? Or are you reading the Bible to see what you can learn? And when we're learning, it's not all positive. There'll be positive and negative in the learning. Bucket. When we're learning, it's not also the mindset of, yeah, yeah, I, I see how that works, I see how that works. That's when we're talking ourselves into something. Instead, this is what I got so far, this sort of makes sense, this doesn't. I'm not sure what this means yet, I'm not sure if I agree with this. Maybe even, I don't agree with this, but I agree with these other things. So. Making the information personal. Allowing yourself inconsistencies. Allowing yourself to have mixed feelings about the person you're working with. I don't like their temper. I don't like their sense of humor. When it comes to values, that's a little bit different. If you see someone who's being sexist or racist or money hungry, then yeah, you might say, I don't like those values and that might be enough to stop working with them. It might not. But it's so interesting, we don't do this with therapists either. You know, therapists who can be amazing and really turn our life around. I don't hear people saying, you know, I want to be like my therapist, and my therapist said this, and my therapist said that. And, and of course, good therapists won't let you get like that anyway. What? happen to you that you think that being someone else is going to make your life better, 
make you feel safer and happier? What happened to you that that got set in place? When have you felt the most accomplished or joyful or peaceful? What were the circumstances of that? Go back and do some homework. If you find yourself wanting to be like someone else, maybe you can do some homework around that. Get really specific. Do I want to live like them? Do I want to look like them? Do I want to talk like them? Do I want the adoration or imagined adoration of that person? Do I want to be famous? Do I want to have a skill that will make people validate and or worship me? So now, instead of going after the person that you're getting a little hooked on, maybe you can start looking at the qualities that you want for yourself in your life and start thinking about how to get it for yourself in a way that's healthy and balanced. The first part of all of this is always the hardest and very hard for people to do alone, which is to catch it. Typically, for example, when I work with people who have negative self-talk, which is like everybody, right? They don't catch the negative self-talk. It's part of their culture in their head. So to them, if I say to somebody, you know, what are the negative thoughts you've noticed about yourself in the last week? And I'll hear something like, well, I noticed one thing. I'm thinking, one thing? This is a person who maybe every other sentence beats the living crap out of themselves. So when they do an inventory on negative self-talk, they catch one thing. So this is the same thing with hero worship and turning healing into a goal instead of a part of your life, but you have the rest of your life, is you may not catch it for years. Again, this is how we get cult members going, is that people get seduced and don't realize they're getting seduced. One way to find this out for yourself is journaling. Absolutely. But I gotta say, my caveat on that is that most people I find don't journal in, in a way that is inquisitive enough for them to get answers or raise questions for themselves to move into a different, more balanced space. There's structured journaling. There's the laundry list workbook for ACA. I'm sure AA has the same thing. I'm sure CODA has the same thing. But again, with those, the concept is you are working with a sponsor or you can bring it to a therapist. But the beginning would be, I would say, is beginning to observe your behaviors and beginning to ask questions. 
how do I feel after I see this person? And it can't be just once because you may have some bad sessions with somebody because they're bringing up really hard material. That doesn't mean what you're doing is bad or they're bad. So you need to look at not good and bad, but what happened? How do I feel? What did I learn? What have I learned so far? And you may say, I don't know what I'm learning yet. Then maybe keep going. Wait and see. Be willing to be confused. In the meantime, as long as you're not being asked to do behaviors that are unethical, give your money away, have sex, follow orders, do exactly what you're told to do, be chastised for, quote, your bad behavior for not doing it right, you might be okay. Come on, pups doing things uh, and not knowing what you're learning and be confused for a while. That's not a bad place to be in. But this stuff is very subtle. If you have someone who's love bombing you, which is most of the new age indus industry that, you know, after a session with someone, the, you know, that people have learned uh, this technique sandwiching, you know, say something wonderful, then say the hard thing, and then say something wonderful again to close off that particular conversation. Well, that can be used nicely, but that can also be used to manipulate you, to handle you, to make sure you keep coming back. I remember talking to a friend who was wonderful um, massage therapist and energy worker. And she said to me, <clears throat> leave them with a cliffhanger. Like always tell them something, but not all of it. And that way they'll come back, they'll book another session. It's like, wow, that is shitty. <laughs> but I have to say she was booked months in advance. Come here, Pia, come here. When I worked on a psychic hotline, I was told the same thing. You know, say the positive stuff, end on a positive note, but then end with this little cliffhanger, maybe a little bit of foreboding, and oh, and yeah, there's this other thing. And that way you definitely get another session out of the person. Don't give them everything right away. Unfortunately, I don't have a brain like that. It's great for business. And that might be something you look at too. Does the person give you the freedom or put the responsibility in your lap to continue the work or not? Instead of them leaving you with a cookie that will seem uh, tempting and seductive for you to come back. Well, next time, you know, you'll find out this or next time, etc. When working with someone who you are tending to make into some kind of superhero, you might want to not just look at what happened in the session and what you learned, but go back and reflect upon the person themselves. And this is tricky because 
there can be a lot of transference, which happens in psychology, and a lot of New Age people don't know what that means, but you work with someone, <clears throat> and issues come up around your mother or father, old stuff, and it gets transferred onto the person that you're currently working with, because your mom or dad may not be a safe person for you to heal around or with, or they might not even be alive. So now it's placed by proxy on your current healer, your current therapist. So you may hate the person you're working with, but it turns out you only hate them because right now they're your dad or your mom or your big brother or your big sister or your crappy boss. What I find with most people who get enamored with their healer or teacher and not with their dentist and car mechanic is that most of all, they want to know that they now know something. So many times when I work with people, they're very quick to go, I have the answer. I have the answer to your question. I know what this is. I know what that is. Well, I'm asking questions for you to find out things you don't know. I'm asking questions that you should not have an answer to right now. You might have a partial answer, but there should be more of this sense of, what? I never even thought of that. And this idea of having the answer, I find, goes along with healing as a goal. Like, a, as soon as I pass this course, as soon as I get through the month with Dr. Marie, I have this one session about my entire childhood and I know shit life is going to be better or the problems are going to go away and something is going to happen it's going to show me that this is totally worth it and now I get on with it whatever it is but that's as foolish as saying once I get my teeth fixed I know my life's going to be better So asking questions, being willing to not know, being willing to sit in contemplation, I often call it crock-potting, like just, just let this sit. And not only that, while you're letting it sit between sessions, notice what changes in your life. Well, we are in the era of down and dirty, quick learning, get it fast, get over it move on. When I was first a professor, we had semesters of six months. Now, I was recently looking at teaching an adjunct class. It was going to be four weeks. Four weeks to learn developmental psychology. You've got to be kidding. So if you're working with someone, instead of trying to do it right, be like them, know stuff as best as you can, as quick as you can. Maybe a better approach would be, how many questions keep coming up that you don't have the answer for right away? How many questions can you think of that will help you to examine your current choices, priorities, and behaviors? How many alternative realities or, expl or explanations can you let sit for a while?
see what comes out of that sitting. Therapists say the same thing that good healers say. You have to start where the person's at. Emma Chosen has that wonderful book, Start Where You Are. You have to do that. And also, you cannot force people to consider things. In other words, I can't force people to learn. But if someone is willing to consider, this might be a past life, this might be astrology, or this might just be your crazy mother. And very often, I have people, especially because we're coming for healing and help, there's low self-esteem, there's insecurity. The first response is, I know what this is. Or, yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. I'm like, wow, you got that so fast? Did it not just rock your world to think about that? Did it rearrange all the atoms in your body to think about this question? I think Pema Children has a book called Living with Uncertainty. And I would say that would be my slogan for everybody who works with someone that they're turning into hero worship or or for people who are working, my phone just crapped out for a minute, <clears throat> who are doing a practice and doing it from the position, if I do it right, I will get these benefits that have been promised to me or that I have imagined in my mind. <laughs> or if I do it right, I'll be just like how I imagine this healer or teacher to be when keyword being imagined, you have no idea who this person is behind closed doors. That maybe <clears throat> instead you can take the attitude of this, I like this so far. I'm learning some things so far. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. And you have the courage also to criticize your teacher, your therapist, your healer. Not in a mean way, but to say, I, I did what you said, it didn't make sense. Not helping me, I don't get it. Stay here, no, stay here. Very good. Stay, all right. Good girl. Approaching a little dog. I'll call her, she can bring it to us. Do you have a dog out we're here? We're all good. Okay, good. Little dog out here. Yep, we're all good. Come on. Oh, he's limping. Yeah, got hit by a car. Oh. It's getting better. quality is that you can say to someone, you know, last week we talked about this, but this week, this is what happened, and it doesn't feel good, or it doesn't feel good. And I would say, this is not meant to be argumentative, I would say not do this at the drop of a hat, in other words, as soon as you hear something, I disagree with you. I've met plenty of people like that, <clears throat> who will say, what do you think, and I'll say, this. And they go, no, that, that's not right. And then my question is, then why did you come to see me? 
if you're not going to consider what I have to say, didn't you come here to ask me questions? I especially love being out on site with cop one, <clears throat> where people say, well, you're wrong. And my answer is, well, if you already know, why are you seeing a psychic? <laughs> you already know the answer. So it means sitting on this stuff, like, okay, this sounds completely wrong. You're telling me my father's this way, and to me that's wrong, and it's not right, and I don't agree, but I'm going to sit on it for a week and see what happens. That is being someone who is willing to grow and heal, and not hero worship, and not use healing as some kind of usually for the better. Asking questions of your teacher, healer, person. And sometimes it might be asking questions of the school. I do that with therapists, if I ever work with one, or healers. Were you ever on cocaine? Did you ever have an abortion? How, um, what's your position on lesbian and queer and gay? trans people? Are you a conservative? Are you a racist? Are you anti-black, anti-people of color? And if they can't handle those questions, that's not for me. I don't have to agree with them. I just want to know where they're coming from. But so many people deify spiritual healers. They don't deify their therapists like that. So much ego involvement with the idea of having magical skills, whereas most people who have energy skills of any kind have paid a really hard price for that. And you haven't gone through that, and why would you want to go through that? <laughs> and there are some reasons for that, I believe. That's for another discussion. If you find yourself deifying somebody, maybe you could find out what it is you think you would get if you somebody who had that power to help people. What would you get? Love, really, from strangers. So that's what you want, love from strangers. You could be a hooker for that. You could be a hypnotist. But that's something for you to write down. I want to be loved, even by strangers. What else do you get if you were like a person that you would be alive? Uh, you wouldn't be challenged. Everybody would take your word. You would feel safe and secure. So if you start to look at these things one by one, I think you'll be able to find the holes dog. How she got hit in the first place. Breaking out of the backyard, going across the street. 
very bad. So if you follow the line of questioning, eventually you will get to what it is you think you're missing on a more realistic level. And now maybe you can make some changes in your life to try to get that thing, but not by deifying someone and trying to be someone that you're not or chasing a fantasy, like, oh, this person must feel this way when she or he heals people with energy. You have no idea. You're just making up a big story. You're making up a story that fits you. So find out your story and see how, how important it is to you or how much you are making stuff up that's totally unrealistic. And then perhaps you can start making some changes in behavior or in your lifestyle in order to get closer to that thing that you want. Let's say, for example, you want to feel adored. Do a reading program at a library. Teach immigrants English. You want to get adored. Do some volunteer work. You will have people kissing your feet. Like, thank you so much. And see how that feels. Maybe that fills that hole in you. Maybe you find out it's more sexual. What to be adored by or desired by someone. Well, maybe you need to look at becoming a singer for a while. Or doing some dance art. Or doing some performance art. Or simply dressing up super sexy going out in the world. I often will do that just to get things done. When I dress up in the traditional normative style of what a woman should look like, I always get better service at the hardware store, etc., in the car mechanic. Someone taught me that completely And it's fun. It's not how I want to live, but it's fun. So maybe that's the adoration that you want. Maybe it's that you want to feel like the light of God on you. Come here. And you imagine that being a healer, that you will have this feeling like being on mushrooms or being on acid. for a while in ceremony. I've heard people say, you know, I take drugs because, you know, we're all seeking consciousness. Like, really? So when you eat your gummies, you're in a ceremony looking for God or goddess? I don't think so. <laughs> but maybe you need to do ayahuasca for a while. Maybe you need to do psilocybin. Remember those drugs only work because we have the neuroreceptors to receive them, which means we can produce the same sensation by ourselves. Hoshi, come. Come on, come, come. Hoshi, come on. Good girl, come on. Come on, good girl. Come on. So maybe you do ayahuasca for a while, or psilocybin. And I'm not at all advocating this, by the way, for anybody who wants to know. Start a lawsuit. Well, maybe that's what you're looking for. Rather than be a 
working with and then turning yourself inside out to become someone you're not in order to get that imagined godlike feeling of running energy. So learning to ask a series of questions. Why is that? What's my story? What else? What else does that mean? What do I imagine that would be like? What would that give me? Is that what I want? What would it look like? What would the experience be like? Find the story that you're telling yourself. Why is it that you deify one person and not another? That's really something to look at. The one that you deify. Hershey! Come on. This girl. Come on. Up here. When you deify, have something that you imagine they have and that you imagine you want. Another thing that happens in deification of a person is you go after them. You tear them down, you compete with them, you destroy them, or try to. You criticize them, you gossip, you, you try to steal their work, etc. Great questions to ask yourself. What will I get by doing this to this person? What need in me will be fulfilled? Are you being self-righteous? Will you get to have your own path, you think? Will you win followers? Okay, win followers. What, is, what will that give you? So it keeps going down to what will that give me? What will it give me? Not saying it really will give you that, but that's what your brain is telling you. You know, if I just do this, it'll give me this. And if I get this, I'm going to be happier. Living with uncertainties, living with lots of questions, especially when you're deifying someone or becoming obsessive or perfectionistic about a particular practice. Because now you're going into magic land. You know, if I just do this, this way, then I will erase karma, I will get money, I will have a lover, my child will be healed. that you're going from one person or practice after another, you've got some serious questions to ask yourself. Come on, Hosh. What are you chasing? What are you looking for that you think something on the outside is going to give you? Another way to break this up Try deifying someone you would never deify. Your uncle, your five-year-old nephew, a teacher, your boss. It's really a great way to break out of your old thinking patterns is by doing the pattern on someone that you would never do the pattern with. I want to be just like my dentist. I want to walk. Look how my dentist walks. Listen to how he or she talks. Wow, I, look how my dentist dresses. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna be just like my dentist. And as foolish as it sounds, by doing an opposite thing or a contrary thing, it often breaks up habitual, ritualistic, addictive thinking. In the Native American tribes, they had a person in the Western tribe who knew they called the Hayoka. 
typically was gay and was considered a sacred clown. They would ride the horse sitting backwards. They would shake their head no while saying yes. They would say the most incongruous things possible. And they were considered sacred because they were coming to you with a message of your way of thinking and your way of behaving and your choices and your lifestyle are stuck. And they would present to you opposites. They would present to you contradictions. They would present to you mind-numbing scenarios. Act them out with humor and gentleness and with no answers. Just to break up the pattern of your dendrites firing in a constant, obsessive, habitual fashion. So you can be a Hayoka for yourself. Try something completely contrary. You've been deifying somebody, and now you find out you want sexual attention. Dress up like super dress up. Spike heels, nylons, makeup, get your hair done, get your nails done. Run around like that for a week. When normally you're wearing Birkenstocks or Do that and see what happens. See if it makes you happy. See if it makes you laugh. See if it is something you might add to your repertoire. See if you just get it out of your system. When people ask me sometimes, I've made a big discovery, and they go, well, now what should I do? I don't know what to do. And of course, the temptation is you know, to be the almighty God and say, here's what you should do, which does absolutely nothing for that person whatsoever except to further weaken them, teach them to not trust themselves, show them what a big mistake they've been making because obviously I have the answers that they don't have. So a terrible way to respond is here's what you should do. Refer people to where they can find tools. And bottom line, what I always say is, you know what you already are doing. So don't do those things. Do anything else but those things. If you always talk, don't talk. If you never talk, talk. You always ask questions, make statements. Break it up. And you're doing it not to get the right answer. You're doing it to learn. You're doing it to try out new stuff. You're try doing it to find out what are the answers for you in this situation at this particular time. And it makes you build trust in yourself. It makes you build self-reliance. Typically, it's funny as hell. Use some friends, you know, do it with your friends. Tell them what you're doing. Practice on them. Let them know that you're going to be doing this opposite behavior just to try it out. Take notes. Notice what happens to your body. Do you lose weight? Do you eat more sugar? Do you sleep better? Notice these things. They're important. Because change comes through the body, through the mind, through behavior, through feelings so many different ways and the big changes are always the result of lots and lots and lots of little subtle changes like building a house brick after brick nail after nail oh look the walls are up it's not like someone waves a magic wand and poof the walls are up no it's the people pounding in the nails and cutting the wood 
And that's what you want to do is be the architect of your life. So train yourself to notice the subtle stuff while you're trying new behaviors. Don't just try the new behaviors and then ignore them. And very often when I'll ask people, well, how did it go? And they look at me like I've, I've asked them to recite a page from an encyclopedia. <laughs> like, didn't you notice? Like, do less, notice more, and track it. Otherwise, someone else, you're going to try to put someone else in charge of your healing. But you're in charge of your healing. How do you be in charge? Notice, pay attention, ask questions. And then when you work with someone and you're doing sessions, you come. So if you're working with someone, my phone crapped out, so there'll be a little repetition here. And you're doing new things and you're tracking it. Bring that into your sessions. People come in and like, well, what do I do now? Really? What am I, your mother? What did you learn? What have you gotten so far? What, what bigger questions do you have now? What are the details of what you found out? And yes, you're going to someone who has a skill set, but you're also responsible for your own learning and bringing that into the session. And that will really help to curb you from your deification tendencies, meaning you're going to be much more interested in tracking your own work and getting questions answered and finding out new things and and saying is this the next step or this feels like the next step or it feels like I want to do this for another week there's no room for deification with that there's no room for cult-like behavior Plus, you get to find out if the person you're working with is a control freak or not, or if they go, oh, that's great, you came in with this agenda. You came in with these observations. You did this homework. That's fantastic. And typically, too, then, because you're doing your own work, you get really used to asking questions of yourself. That means you get used to being asked questions by someone else and you don't get so defensive. And you don't feel that being asked questions is you being criticized. Instead, it's part of the process that you do for yourself. I hope this helps. For those of you who have found yourself kind of deifying or worshiping or trying to do a certain practice perfectly I hope you start off with a little exercise of deifying someone that you normally wouldn't deify at all like your best friend like I want to be just like my best friend I want to walk like him or her I want to dress like them because everything they do and the special powers that they have I want them so you can start to feel what it feels like when you do that and also to feel how alienating it is to yourself and how ridiculous it is and then you'll start to be able to catch it when you're doing it for real with someone that you maybe have some big ego attachment to hope to see you at life path healings hope you could put up with all the noise 
you know, I can't do these recordings sitting still. It makes me feel crazy. And if you have any questions, let me know. Send them in. DM me, Instagram, Facebook. On my website, there's phone number, email address. Plenty of ways to do it. Hope to see you at Life Path Healings.